0: Love Talk Radio.
1: And welcome to a Thursday night edition of BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Thomas Watts. With me is uh, just going to be one one of our normal trio, William Redfish Barger. Drew has some things he needs to take care of. We've got a great show going. If you're just coming on with us, I'm trying a little something new with the show. Hopefully I won't have to edit it so I have to play music to get Redfish. So hopefully this goes a little bit better. Blog Talk Radio got angry with me, but that's okay. Fish and I are going to discuss a lot of the stuff that we saw from the Clemson game, as well as what we look forward to for the 2017 season. And, and you know, if you want to if you want to have a laughing moment at the expense of one of Alabama's chief rivals, Rhett Lashley, Auburn's offensive coordinator, did just leave. So, you know, have fun with that down on the plains. But, you know, let's let's get right into it. I've got Redfish with me on the line. Fish, how you doing this evening, buddy? Doing
0: great, Thomas. How about you, buddy?
1: Uh, like I said when I screened you, I'm still hurting a little bit about the loss, but I, I it's hard for me to get up. I let me put it to you this way, Fish. I hate it for the team because I know how much work they put in, but astonishingly, the sun did come up. I was able to go to work and function as a normal human being, so I'm okay. <laughs> but you well, know, let, yeah. let's go ahead.
0: No, no, go ahead. I'll let you finish off.
1: No, no, I, I was just going to jump right into thoughts about the game, but do you have a general, no, you know, go reaction? No, go to
0: ahead. I'm right Okay, down. well then. No, I, I just, I, I will say this. I mean, I've been a little bit, uh, you know, disappointed, you know, with the Alabama fan base since Monday night. I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, vitriol out there on the internet about, you know, looking for a boogeyman to blame and escape, and this, that, and the other. And,
2: you know, my,
0: my delve off into the details is number one, I think that, first of all, you know, if you look at the seats, you know, 14-1, and one, uh, third straight year that they've won the Western Division, uh, the Essex championship, and been to the college football playoffs. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, two years ago, they got knocked out early against Ohio State. Uh, you know, last year, you know, finished the deal and won the national championship. This year they got back, um, you know, to the big dance. Um, and we're, you know, less than two minutes away from, from finishing it off and, you know, you know going back to back. And, you know, my, my message would be, number one, I think people need to take a chill pill and try to understand just how difficult it is to go wire to wire and be undefeated. Uh, Number two, I think a large portion of the fan base has really forgotten about the empty, uh, dark feeling of spending Christmas in Shreveport, Louisiana, at the Wheat Whacker Bowl every year. And, you know, it wasn't like the game Monday night, you know, was some sort of blowout where, you know, Clemson outclassed Alabama and, um, you know, it, it was, they were dominated or something like that. I, you know, I, I, I personally feel, you know, that this team uh, accomplished a lot of great things. Um, you know, when you look at the fact that, you know, we started a true freshman at quarterback and a true freshman at right tackle. Um, another true freshman in Miller Forstall, um, you know, played a you know, pretty key role the offense, then you flip over to the defense and start talking about guys like Jonathan Allen, Ryan Anderson, uh, Reuben Foster. Um, I, I just don't see what the, the – you know, I understand the angst and I understand the empty feeling. But when, when people take to, you know, message boards and start slaughtering players um, – You know, barbecuing them You know, number one, why would you do that You know, in a public forum where other people from, you know, other programs You know, fan bases can read all that stuff Why would you do that to begin with At the same time, you know, why not celebrate What this team did well Versus trying to tear it down And, uh, you know, my takeaway from Monday night You know, broad strokes You know, I view it as a positive You know, number one, it keeps Nick Saban around for one more year trying to accomplish his head coaching goals. And number two, it's going to motivate him to fix the things that kept this team from finishing that perfect season. And and maybe they have a chance to do that, you know, in the the winter conditioning program, you know, in spring practice. So um,
3: there isn't another program in the
0: country that wouldn't swap basis where this Alabama program is right now and I think that's something to celebrate not try and tear down
1: no I I agree fish and I had a few people sending me those message links and I finally went position by position and just shredded somebody and uh I very quickly shut that down with a group of friends of mine that were going and carping about it but you know I, I understand some of the angst it's a little over the top and I think it does point to how absolutely spoiled the fan base is and something if something to worth reiterating and something that should be said over and over a true freshman quarterback had Alabama two minutes and six seconds away from winning a national championship against a fantastic football team. And if you had told me Sunday night, you know, 24 hours before the game, that Alabama would have a three-point lead in the fourth quarter with two minutes left with the way the Alabama defense played. You know, it didn't work out, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, let's, let's, let's shift away from the defense because, you know, we'll get, that, we'll get to that in a little while. And I actually want to talk about the offense. You know, the, the big storyline last week, Steve Sarkeesian in for Lane Kiffin, and more things continued to come out that pretty much proved that Lane Kiffin was a slimeball. Both on and off the field, and but what were your thoughts looking at Steve Sarkeesian both as a game planner and an in-game play caller for this game against the Clemson Tigers? What, what would you grade his performance as? You know,
0: I think he did a great job. You know, on, on short notice, um, you know, certainly losing both Scarborough, you know, changed the dynamic in that game as far as having that you know big explosive player you know, you saw the numbers that he put up, you know, rushing prior to getting hurt. And you know, certainly that put Steve Sarkisian in behind the eight ball as a play caller, but I thought he did a, a, a very solid job um, you know, you know, losing the you know, the guy that kinda had the hot hand at the running back position, um, you know, waking up to the game against Clemson. You know, that, that changed that whole dynamic for him as a play caller. And you know, we haven't had a chance to talk, you know, since he was, uh, you know, kind of thrust into that position. And I thought his press conference last Saturday before the national championship game, you know, was a home run. He was very open, uh, very honest. I, I thought he filled it, you know, the questions about his personal demons um, in a very professional and, and, a, and an open manner. Um,
1: it, you know, something else
0: I want to address. You know, you know, Wayne Kiffin has a lot of personal demons himself, and I'm not gonna bash him. I'm not gonna, you know, put him on a spit and barbecue him. He did a much better job than when he was hired um, in January of 2014 than I thought he was ever capable of doing. Um, you know, when we can look at the three years of him as the offensive coordinator, you know, he took a Converted part-time wide receiver, part-time defensive back in Blake Sims and set, you know, Alabama passing records with him. Um, You know, then he took the the cast off from Florida State and Jay Coker and, uh, you know, won the national championship and then embarked on this season with a true freshman quarterback in Jalen Hurts and, you know, ran through the SEC, you know, won an SEC championship you know, got past that first obstacle in the, in the college football playoffs, um, you know, and then he was relieved of his duties. And, you know, all of a sudden Alabama and Nick Saban were forced to, you know, change play collars. Um, I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, stick my pitchfork in lane any more so than I'm going to, you know, stick my pitchfork in Nick Saban or Jalen Hurts or anybody else associated with the loss on Monday night. Um, I, I just want to impress upon people just how difficult it is to go wire to wire um, as the number one-ranked team in the country. I played on two different teams in back-to-back years um, in 1991 um, in 1992 at Alabama. And in 91, um, you know, that was kind of the, the start of the emergence of you know, the John Copeland, Eric Kirk, Antonio Langham dominant defense um, that came to fruition in 92. And, you know, we we ended up, you know, losing one game to Florida and then running the table all the way through, uh, you know, the Miami game, you know, a year later in the 92 national championship game. And it's a very difficult, you know, proposition to do with injuries and you know, issues with players, um, especially in today's game, um, you know, where there's, you know, such prolific offenses. um, I I just think that it's so much more to celebrate um, about this 2016 Alabama team versus trying to tear it apart and and bitch and complain about stuff that, you know, look, Nick Saban is the best coach in college football. And he made a decision, you know, in my mind, halfway through, you know, fall camp, that Jalen Hurts was the best guy to put out there quarterback. No different than he made the same decision, you know, that Ryan Anderson and, and you know, Jonathan Allen and Minka Fitzpatrick were the best guys to put on that defense. And, you know, my take on it is, you know, did Jalen Hurts regress as a passer um, after that 300 plus yard performance against Mississippi State? Yes, he did. I wish I could come up with some tangible answers about why that happened. You know, right off the top of my head, um, yeah. you know, going back to the LSU game, probably part of it was he started playing against true top 10 defenses. But, you know, looking at that Auburn game and the Florida game, the Washington game, the the Clemson game, um, you know, he did struggle, you know, making decisions or even defenses um, and distributing the football as a passer. But I never once saw him have a problem with that as a junior and a senior at Channel High School. So maybe that was a byproduct of Lane Kiffin only getting him to a certain point and he wasn't able to get him over the hump. But the way I look at it is um, he's either going to improve in that aspect of his game or, you know, to attack the above or Mac Jones, is going to take that job from him. And that's a great place to be as a fan of the Alabama football program, you know, knowing that you know, if he doesn't get the job done in spring practice or fall camp, there's some other guys there that are capable of, you know, pulling the trigger that can do it. But, I just hate to see, you know, fans of, of a kid um, that went out there. And, you know, cause I can't even imagine what it's like um, as a true freshman. You know, I started the last five games of my redshirt freshman year in the SEC, and, you know, I, I can think of two or three games where I would walk up to the line of scrimmage and totally blank out. And I have to ask Roger Schultz who the hell I was supposed to block. So that that's as a right guard. So imagine what the pressure was on Jalen Hurts, you know, walking up to the line of scrimmage, having to read a defense, having to get guys lined up in, in the right spots, and, you know, m- making the right call for 10 other guys on the offense. So, I personally am going to celebrate what Jalen Hurts did right. All the things that he put together that made the uh, the other you know thirteen coaches in the SEC name him the SEC Player of the Year versus trying to tear him down um, with with things that people thought that he had shortcomings with. You know, bottom line, um, he'll either improve with his shortcomings or somebody else will be the starting quarterback against the FX in uh, September.
1: Well, well, I think something that I, I want to reiterate uh, with relation to both Jalen Hurts and to Lane Kiffin, uh, which was really the start of this, this conversation, I the only reason that Lane Kiffin deserves, in my mind, some of the barbecuing, but even more, less than the barbecuing, the acknowledgement, he did great things at Alabama for three years. That is unequivocal. The trophies that he and his players won pretty much negate any argument. It's also unequivocal that after he got the FAU job, he did kind of check out on the team. In totality, thank you, coach, but uh, I wish you would have finished the drill. No, no hard feeling. At least, you know, I refuse to be angry at him. Play, playing that over to Jalen Hurts, like you said, Jalen Hurts is a true freshman. Jalen Hurts has. Uh, he will be going through his second spring, and a- as you can probably attest even more than I can, Redfish, doing calling, making the correct call on offense, being able to walk up, read a defense, audible if you need to, is something that you only really learn through tons of practice and repetition. And even up to the Ole Miss game this year, Jalen Hurts was splitting repetitions with Blake Barnett. And who who knows what else, considering that quarterback, you know, the quarterback lines that we would hear about through the media. So Jalen Hurts had a fantastic season. And again, in the most pressure-packed moment in the game, you know, Clemson has come thundering back on Alabama. Jalen Hurts puts together a touchdown drive to give Alabama a chance to win. That's all I need for me. To tear him down, I think it should be more an acknowledgement that, yeah, he's a true freshman. He's going to do some true freshman things. But he's already shown the moxie and the ability in fits and spurts to be a Heisman trophy level quarterback. And even more than that, he's got the staff around him because, you know, Alabama's offensive staff is formidable. I, uh, you know, I, I'd argue Alabama's offensive staff is as good as it gets given the resources that Jalen hurts has at his command to get Jalen hurts to fix those deficiencies. So I, I do agree with you, Redfish, that, the the, the the teardown of Hertz is way over the top. I think Lane Kiffin does deserve a little bit of of a smash because of how he decided to handle his the end of his business. But that doesn't take away from what he did do. But but you know going back to Jalen Hurts, I know you said just now, you know, if Jalen Hurts can't do it, Tua Tagavailo or Mac Jones might be able to. You know, going off that point, how big do you think it is that Tua is now on campus and going to be able to compete with Jalen Hurts? Because you look at this, you look at the situation, particularly once Blake Barnett left, and there was really nobody there. Uh, David Cornwell, he, no. You know, who who is the backup quarterback at that point? He's n- neither, none of them are going to push Jalen Hurts. Tua has the ability to do it. How important do you think it is to have a little adversity and competition in that quarterback room going forward? Well, I think it's, it's it's huge, number
0: one. Now, one thing that I will caution, you know, Alabama fans that are, you know, foaming at the mouth thinking that, that Tua, um, you know, has an opportunity to become the starting quarterback at Alabama. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and discount that fact. He has a great chance. Um, you know, he's, he's you know, going to go through the off program in the winter, be there for spring practice. It's going to be back on campus at the end of May and, you know, go through the summer conditioning program and all the seven-on-seven workouts. But that being said, um, you know, where maybe some people point to Jalen Hurts um, having some inadequacies as a passer, you know, let's just be totally honest about uh, Tua for a second. You know, he's a biscuit short of being six-foot tall. So right out of the gate, um, that's a huge concern. You know, being a guy that's more of a pocket passer. He does not you know, he's not like Freddie Kitchen's um or AJ McCarron back there in the pocket, but he's not a guy that Steve Sarkeesian is gonna design a dual threat roll around in the SEC. You know, running a four nine forty in Hawaii high school football, um, you know can make plays with your feet, but that will get you killed in the SEC, much in the same way that a lot of people misevaluate Blake Barnett as a dual-threat quarterback. And, and Barnett was, you know, a step or two faster than Tua. He was a four eight five guy. But biggest concern for me as far as, you know, sitting there going, okay, well, let's just put Jalen on the bench and, and turn it over to Tua. You know, at five eleven and some pocket change, right out of the gate, the number one thing that would concern me is passes batted down at the line of scrimmage. And you know, a guy that's six foot one, Monday night, and Jalen Hurts had four or five balls batted down. Imagine that, expo, you know, exponentially with a guy that's five eleven in Tua. Um, I, I totally agree with your assessment that the competition for success. And, you know, I like just pointed out, you know, once Blake Barnett hit the road, there was nobody else on that QB roster that could push Jalen. It was, you know, the Jalen Hurts show or bust. Um, and, and you know, that bust factor didn't play itself out until Monday night against Clemson. But, you know, if you start breaking things down and, and looking at them, um,
1: you know, that was
0: Jalen Hurts versus a third-year guy, Deshaun Watson, um, he had much better stats than Sean Watson did as a true freshman. He had much better stats than Lamar Jackson did as a true freshman. Um, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Clemson. I thought Deshaun Watson was a full-grown man in that game Saturday, it must me, Monday night. Um, I personally thought Ryan Anderson had knocked him slap out. Uh, but the guy kept getting up, dusting himself off. Um, you know, he had great wide receivers and a great uh, tight end. Well, actually, three wide receivers when you factor in the walk-on Renfro and the tight end blanket. Um, but, you know, he had, you know, four really good receivers at his disposal. And, uh, you know, he kept up and, and, you know, kept making passes, making plays. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just run up against a team that has the hotter hand than you do. But, you know, Thomas, we really didn't get a chance to talk prior to the game. Um, My prediction on the game, and I I, I totally own it and, and, you know, will absorb it, Um, I predicted the game 31 to 21. And if you had told me prior to Monday night's game that Alabama's offense would have generated 31 points by themselves without a special teams or a defensive touchdown, factor to it, I'd have bet you any amount of money that you wanted to that Alabama would have come out on top Monday night. So, I, I'm, you know, on the side of um for three quarters, I thought the offense did their job and did their part of the equation. And, you know, people are looking for um, individual for position groups to point the finger at. But, you know, I think Monday night was a total team loss. Um, You know, in the fourth quarter, the offense didn't do a good enough job of extending drives or completing passes. And I'm not saying that it was all Jalen Hurts. Um, The wide receivers dropped passes. The offensive line missed blocks. Uh, You know, the field goal kicker, um, you know, didn't do a good enough job of kicking the ball into the end zone. Uh, the shank by J.K. Scott on that one punt played a factor in the game. My, my biggest takeaway from from the game Monday night was, Thomas, if, if you truly have an elite defense, and I don't care who you're playing against, 31 points should be enough production by the offense. And where I saw the trick failure was, you know, gassed or not, um, and, you know, people talk about, you know, this defense being gassed. Um, you know, after six or seven, eight, whatever the number is, of, of number one recruiting classes, um, you know, Nick Saban and Alabama should have had enough depth on that defensive side of the football to, uh, you know, overcome that obstacle. Um, I, I'm, I'm now in the position to where I've had to – you know, look at things. And this is coming from somebody that never has played, you know, one down of defensive back football in his life. But what I've seen over the course of the last couple of years, and, you know, I understand that I'm talking about a head coach that is completely open to change and adjusting things. But after seeing the Clemson game this year, because I used to blame it on Kirby Smart because I'm not a Kirby fan. But after seeing the Clemson game, uh, the Arkansas game, and the Ole Miss game, my take on the 2016 football season is it's time for Nick Saban to step away from coaching the cornerbacks and let somebody else take that role over every day in practice because whatever technique Nick Saban is teaching isn't working.
1: I think that technique is actually called the three-step shuffle to start. And then the, the, a lot of the things that I've seen DB struggle with are either knowing if, to, if you need to be in phase or out of phase, and that's, it's tough to figure out, but unfortunately, as you said, it, it's got to be done, particularly when you've got guys that can do things like what Mike Williams did against the Alabama Crimson Tide. And all, you know, who, all the other folks that we saw this past Monday. But, it, you know, one of the things that jumped out to me, Fish, you know, as rough as it looked, particularly as the defense did wilt after 99 plays. How impressed were you with Rashawn Evans throughout the playoff? I, I think they're very bright things. Like, I feel a lot better with the two inside backers, given what we saw from Evans through the two playoff games. Well, you
0: know, as far as talking about what's going to happen in 2017, Thomas, I totally agree with, you. Um, you know, I kind of look at Rashawn Evans, you know, on the same trajectory as a player that I do to Sean Han. You know, both of those guys were elite five-star prospects. They both had to serve, you know, their time, so to speak, um, behind other five-star prospects. So you know, talking about Rashawn Evans going into spring practice, and I, I don't know if uh, you know Sean Dion Hamilton will be a hundred percent available. Um, you know, stand there next to you know Rashawn at the inside linebacker spot. You might see you know Mac Wilson or Keith Holcomb. You know, in the spring, Cause I, you know, depending on how severe that ACL uh, tear was uh, for Sean Dion um he still might not be hundred percent the spring, but he was a guy that I would compare one hundred percent to uh Ruben Foster at that same point in time, uh, back in two thousand and fifteen. I, I thought Sean Dion Hamilton was playing at an all SEC level, you know, when he um so we'll have to see how that works out. But man, you know, Jeremy Pruitt, Carl Dunbar Tosh Lapoy, uh, Derek Ainsley, they all have a lot of really good players at their disposal. Um, You know, once spring practice kicks off here in a month and a half, to start finding the pieces um, to replace, you know, guys that are departing like Jonathan Allen, uh, Ryan Anderson, uh, Tim Williams, Reuben Foster, you know, in that front seven. There's a lot of really talented guys sitting over on the bench waiting their turn.
1: And that, that's true, Redfish. I, I want to go here briefly, and then I really want to go and turn the page on the 2016, look forward to 2017 a little bit. Obviously, the coaching staff is already looking to 2017, going out and recruiting. But one of the themes that came out of the game on Monday was issues with officiating. I'll, I'll be honest, those the play, the two touchdowns that Clemson had – Those are one. I feel like that's one of those punch, punch, wink, wink kind of plays where it's very often OPI, but it's very rarely called. But coming out of the game, a lot has been made of officiating. And in your mind, does does officiating in general need to be more heavily scrutinized? You know, do you need to put another official on the field? Is there any way to fix it, or is it just you get what you get and move on? What is it? What do you think? There's an issue in your mind. Well, you know, I think if the powers to be in college football are willing
0: to, and and that looks like where it's going, um, where they're going to allow them to add a tenth, you know, coach on the field, so to speak. That's the, you know, kind of the the vibe that's coming out of the the college coaches' convention right now. If they're going to allow a tenth position coach on the field, um, I don't see... You know, from a financial standpoint, why I can't allow an extra official to be added as well. Um, you know, I personally don't get into um, officials really being that big of a factor in the game, and that might be more so from you know me being a former offensive lineman and appreciating the fact that you know holding really isn't a hold um, unless you get caught doing it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just looked, I've watched the game three times since Monday night. And, you know, I thought the officiating was a little bit questionable, but I thought it kind of equaled itself out on both sides. Um, do I think that there were, you know, two significant plays in that game where Clemson was completely guilty um, of, of running pick plays? Sure, I'm not an idiot. Um, You know, especially on the last play, um, you know, where the inside wide receiver never even made an attempt to run a route and just dove at the deep beats legs. I mean, I saw that for different times. But at the end of the day, I I just don't get all worked up about that. I I think that, um, you know, there were a lot of plays in that game that could have impacted the – at the, the, the end of it, you know, Ryan Anderson getting tackled by Renfro, um, you know, where it looked like he was going to make a defensive touchdown. Um, I, I'm,
3: I'm more on the,
0: the side of thinking, Thomas, that you've got a guy out there, um, you know, in Tony Brown, that consistently got beat, especially on every third down that mattered in the second half by Hunter Renfro on a simple dig route, you know, between Jeremy Pruitt and Derek Ainsley and Nick Saban, could they have not made some sort of in-game adjustment or coaching point to, you know, keep a guy that's, you know, let's just be totally honest, to be a, a first-round draft pick as a defensive back, to have an opportunity to make the 4 by 400 relay team for the Summer Olympics. Uh, you know, do a better job of putting him into a position where he could be successful. You know, in my mind, you know, people talk about Sean Watson and Mike Williams and Deion Kane You know, in my mind, uh, it didn't come to fruition last year, but for two years in a row with Clemson versus Alabama, um, I could make a really, really good argument that Hunter Renfro was the, M- the offensive MVP of both games.
1: No, no, that's a great point, point. and he, he ate Bama up for two years, and I mean, it's almost fitting that he was the guy that caught the winning touchdown, given how he played, even though that pick was, um, let's just call it rough around the edges. We'll go with that, but I, I, I'm not, I don't buy into the the officiating thing. Uh, if, if you don't want officials to negatively impact the game, make enough plays to take it out of their hands, and unfortunately, Alabama did not, but You know, it it has gotten a lot of airtime, a lot of talking, and I wanted to get your opinion. But let's go on and turn the page a little bit, looking to 2017. And while Alabama was busy preparing for the national championship, you had, let's just call it, let's go Quentin Tarantino and call it the Najee Harris situation. You know, how big is keeping his services? And what did you think of what amounted to a circus around the guy over the past you know, week to 10 days?
0: Um, You know, first of all, you know, I'm kind of old school. You know, I think, you know, if you really have your mind made up and, and you know, you're committed to a school, um, don't generate drama. Um, because I think that causes, you know, not just one but two schools, sometimes even three, to, you know, spend valuable recruiting dollars um, you know, trying to chase you down, and and you know, an informed decision on where you're going to school. Now, from everybody that I talked to, I don't buy any of that trauma. I, I don't think that. Do, do I think that maybe Noddy Harris flirted with with the thought of going to Michigan? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, he flirted with it, but I don't think that he ever. Once said, you know what? I'm not going to go to Alabama. I'm going to go to Michigan. And I think there's a story within this story. Um, I think it's kind of ironic if if Steve Sarkisian um, hadn't allowed his demons to you know creep up on him and cause him to lose, you know, his head coaching position at Southern Cal. Both Najee Harris and Tua Tagovailoa would be enrolled at Southern Cal right now, not Alabama. And I think it's kind of ironic that they're not, and they're both going to get to play um, at least for one year. Um, for, for the offensive coordinator slash head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, that both of them really wanted to play for, you know, three years ago. But, you know, I don't think that drama that was generated around Nodge was You know, based more so on the fact that he refused to do interviews, Um, you know, do I think that maybe at some point in time, um, you know, he may have insinuated to the Michigan coaches that he might come up there? Sure. But I haven't spoken to anybody, um, you know, close to the Alabama program, and, and that's, you know, some current players. Uh, you know, some current recruits and student class. Nobody ever really thought there was a lot of imminent danger of him going to Michigan. I think that, um, you know, he was kind of beholden to Harbaugh to a certain extent because he came out there and did, um, you know, a satellite camp right there on his high school campus at Antioch High School. Um, I do think that his – you know, personality is a line with Jim Harbaugh's than it is with Nick Saban's. I think is a kid um, that plays loops and, and likes to joke around and cut up and be goofy. And, you know, his personality was probably a little bit more, um, you know, closer to Jim Harbaugh's than it is Nick Sabins. But, you know, that's not where his ultimate relationship was. It was with Tosh Lapoy. Um, you know, that's has been with him the longest. That's who's had the biggest impact on, um, you know, not so much just him, but his mother, um, you know, and his personal trainer. And, uh, you know, for, for Alabama fans, if we're talking about recruiting, I'll go ahead and give you a, a sneak peek of what's fixing to happen. Um, three weeks from yesterday before National Signing Day starts, let's segue and Stop talking about Nigel Harris, who's enrolled at Alabama. Um, but I'll tell you this much. The five-star defensive tackle over Aubrey Solomon is going to generate so much drama between Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan in the next three weeks. It's going to make what Nigel Harris did look like kindergarten.
1: Yeah, I've – uh I've been made aware of that situation over the past couple of weeks, and as you know, Redfish, I do another Bama show with a mutual friend of ours, Murph Baldwin. And as he told me about it, I just put my head in my hands because I was just like, "Jeez, this—he uh, better be spectacular on the football field because he is coming off like a prima donna." So, for fans that don't know, and Redfish, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Aubrey Solomon's a five-star defensive uh, defensive lineman out of Georgia. He was once committed to Michigan. He reopened a lot of signs point to Alabama, but he keeps changing like his top fours and his interest. And he just spent the entire U S army, all America bowl game week with hanging out with Georgia commits. So it's a situation where everything's changing and it's trending away from this young man should enjoy the process to this young man is kind of shanghaiing three universities. So, you know, if you're a Bama fan, correct me. And again, Fish, correct me if I'm wrong. Just kind of buckle up because it's going to get kind of ridiculous. Is that your read on the Solomon situation?
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think he, uh, you know, you know, he. I'll, I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail about the uh, Army All American Week. I mean, he shows up um, last Sunday. Um, and, and, you know, that's the open media period where everybody has access to him and says that, you know, Alabama has this massive lead in his recruitment and, you know, then shows up Saturday for the game and wears a Georgia mouthpiece for the game. Um, you know, spent the whole week, you know, hanging out with the Georgia recruits more so than the um, Alabama commitments. And I'm not sitting here saying that he's not going to end up at Alabama, but both he and his mother, um, and I'll, I'll package this deal up and kind of, uh, you know, parlay it into this. I would I would kind of compare it to the Landon Collins and the Landon Collins mother situation. Um, you, know, you, you know, you just don't know what this mother-son team is going to do. Um, you know, they, they've committed to, you know, every team that they've taken an official visit to. And I think that's probably where the uncertainty lies, you know, in his recruitment. He took his official visit to Alabama, if my memory serves me right, I think for the Texas A&M game. Um, But he's still got, you know, at least two visits left um, to Georgia and and Southern Cal. So, you know, who knows how this thing's going to play out. But, you know, common sense tells me, Um, that I think Mama wants her son to stay close to home. So it's going to come down to Alabama versus Georgia. Um, Regardless of how people have him ranked this year in the state of Georgia, he's the clear-cut number one player in the state of Georgia and, you know, would be a huge loss for Kirby Smart and his staff if he doesn't end up signing with Georgia. So you can imagine the difficulty – you know, that Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt and Carl Dunbar have in front of them and trying to get, you know, a prioritized recruit out of the state of Georgia um, to come to Alabama, and I still don't even think that Auburn's totally out of it. You know, for Aubrey Solomon and his mother to get to Tuscaloosa from where they live, they have to drive right through Auburn, Alabama to get to Tuscaloosa.
1: And just a brief clarification: He visited November the 26th, which was the Iron Bowl. So, okay, at, least, okay. at least he got to see a good game, I suppose. <laughs> or at least in terms yeah. of defense.
0: Well, and you know, Thomas. At, at the same time, I mean, he's got a uh, um, you know a clear path to play with early playing time. You know, at Alabama. You know, Georgia has signed, and Auburn. Um, you know, a lot of higher ranked. Um, defensive linemen in the last two classes than Alabama has. That's been kind of the only Achilles heel um, of the last two Alabama classes is they haven't really loaded up on defensive linemen. They've missed on a few. And uh, there's a clear-cut path with a very um, attractive depth chart at the defensive end, defensive tackle position for Aubrey Solomon at Alabama. Now, um, I'm not dumb enough to sit here and tell you and, or the listeners that that's where he's going to end up. Do I think there's been some point in time since the Auburn official visit? Um, I do know that him and his mother have both committed to Alabama on multiple occasions since Thanksgiving. But let's just see what happens, you know, over the next three weeks with, you know, a Georgia official visit and a USC official visit still in front of them.
1: And, and, you know, you mentioned the, the defensive depth chart, the defensive line, defensive tackle depth chart. And, and in that same vein, obviously the 2016 team will lose a whole lot in the front seven. So the question I pose to you, Fish, should fans be worried about a fall off given how much talent is leaving Tuscaloosa, either graduating or leaving early? For 2017, sorry. <laughs> I apologize.
0: Oh, you're talking about what they're losing this year versus what's on campus and and coming in in this recruiting class.
1: Yeah. The reason the question was brought to my attention from the the, the sort of chicken littling shortly after the Clemson game about the defensive falloff in the front seven. And my question to you is should fans be worried about that whole issue? Because obviously, Jonathan Allen, Tim Williams, Ryan Anderson, Ruben Foster they're leaving that they're not, and that's that those are really the big four but they're you know there's their issues there but should fans really be worried about that or does the number one recruiting class kick in and just kind of move on keep on keeping on if you know what i mean
0: well i think you know number one from an you know if we just want to talk about an alabama fan base situation what what really happened was last year um when, when the depth was so good Really that debt was created by two junior college players um that Alabama signed in the two thousand and fifteen class and Jeron Reed and uh BJ Petway. Um you, you take two JUCO signings out of that equation last year and it was basically what they had to work with this year. Um well, what I see um for two thousand and seventeen is, you know, a guy that played a lot this year um in and uh, Anthony Jennings, he's two hundred and seventy five pounds now and you know play jack linebacker this year um really kind of proved to be the true backup to Ryan Anderson. I think Anthony Jennings is gonna to go to the defensive end. Um I, I think that Christian Miller will take over the Tim Williams role and uh you know the the, the five star uh, freshman phenom, Terrell Hall, will end up being the jack. Um, you know, they've added one guy so far um, in the junior college, uh, you know, defensive lineman, five-star Isaiah Bugs that got some practice time before they played Clemson and proved to be unblockable. So, you know, if you were asking me what I would say would be the – you know, penciled in, not with a permanent marker, but the penciled in, uh, you know, front seven depth chart going into spring practice. It's Deshaun Hand at one end. Uh, you know, I'm talking about the base 3-4 look. Deshaun Hand at one end, uh, Duran Payne at nose guard, Isaiah Bugs at the other end, and then you've got Christian Miller at Sam, Terrell Hall at Jack, and then you've got uh, – Sean Deon Hamilton and Rashawn Evans at at the Mike and Will positions
1: inside. Well, uh, okay. And and going, keeping on the defensive theme, one of the guys that got a lot of hype for the draft, and it would deservedly so, if only by measurables. I'm, I'm not sure his performance throughout the year justified it. Marlon Humphrey in the secondary. Some think he's a first round pick this year. Do you see him leaving? You know, can you tell us do you have any insight in that situation? I know there's a press conference scheduled for I believe tomorrow, which would be Friday around you know one noon or one. Quick, can you tell us about that?
0: You know unless something drastically changes between right now when we're talking and noon tomorrow, I expect Marlon Humphrey to declare for the draft, and I know a lot of people are going to sit there and say, "Well. You know, he struggled this year. You know, there were a lot of deep balls completed on him. Um, And I totally agree with that, assessment. But I think, you know, truth be told, um, you know, if I was someone that was advising Marlon Humphrey, I would look at this as a two-edged stick. Um, I think he probably needs one more year. That being said, if there's multiple NFL GMs that want to give him first-round money, um, you've got to go take it while you can get it. You know, there's no guarantees, um, you know, via injuries or, you know, having a, um, you know, a slump next season, if that's going to be the same situation um, this time next year. So, um, I, you know, if he does decide to do what I've already been told that he's already done, and that's informed Nick Saban that he's going pro, um, I don't blame him for doing that because, I know that there's been multiple NFL GMs that have, you know, given signals to, you know, the decision makers in Marlon Humphrey's camp saying that, you know, hey, you know, we're going to take somewhere between the 15th and, and 20th pick in the draft. And if that's the case, you've got to go grab that money while you can get it.
1: No, I, I agree. The, the, the criticism or the the curiosity that I had looking at this season was that I thought he might've fallen out of the first round, but if those are the signals that they're getting 15 to 20 is, is a whole lot of hooch. Go get it. I agree. I just, my, the premise was he had fallen out of that range, but if, and if LGMs are saying it, I, you know, I can't get bent out of shape. Obviously don't have all the facts then, but you know, good luck to him. And ironically, redfish this will create a situation where alabama might not lose the entire secondary at the end of the 2017 uh 2017 season to either graduation or potential leaving early so do you kind of see it as uh, not an addition by subtraction but not that bad for the long-term development of this team or is that too far to go is that too much of a stretch
0: no 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 i I agree with what you're saying I, i think that's something that you know, Alabama fans have asked uh, over and over again. I think a lot of them are really confused why, when you look at this 2017 recruiting class, which has an opportunity, um, you know, based on you know whichever service you look at, and you want to have the the stars and numbers up with, um, has a chance to be the greatest of all time recruiting class that's ever been signed. Um, and there's really not a big defensive back flavor in the class, um, you know, it, it's real simple. It's common sense. They really like and are in love with the group of DBs that they signed last year. And, you know, Shaheen Carter, uh, you know, D Robinson, um, you know, Nigel Knott, you know, the list goes on and on, um, focused on, Um, you know, signing the big DB class this year is they like the one that they got last year. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that plays out, especially if Marlon does decide to clear, um, you know, for the draft. But, you know, I I could sit there and, you know, throw darts at a dartboard and, you know, sit there and say, well, you know, what would it be if Marlon decides to go pro? Well, you know, your two corners um, right out of the gate, you know, Anthony Averitt obviously on one side, um, you know, either Minka Fitzpatrick or, or D Robinson on the other. And then you've got, uh, you know, Tony Brown, Hootie Jones, Deontay Thompson, and, and, and Ronnie Harrison back there at the safety spots. So, you know, there's a really established formula already on campus um, where they could restructure that defensive backfield for 2017 very quickly.
1: And, you know, a couple more questions, Redfish, then I will let you off the hook. I always ask you this. You're a former offensive lineman. 2017 Alabama offensive line has to replace almost certainly Cam Robinson at left tackle, and hopefully the revolving door at right guard becomes, uh, let's just call it, more ironed out. How do you see the 2017 line developing? Or Who are some candidates for Bama fans to kind of get excited about as spring practice gins up here and – a month and a half.
0: Well, you know, my immediate answer would be, you know, you, you shift Jonah Williams from right tackle to left tackle, um, you know, going back across the line from left to right. You know, Ross Pierce Baker is a, you know, he he's kind of a poor man's uh, Adam. Uh, I mean, uh, uh Ryan Kelly in my mind. He's not as athletic as Kelly but he's in the same discussion, but he's not a, you know, a chance Warmack or a DJ fluke, or he's not going to, you know, knock a 300 pound defensive tackle three yards off the ball. Um, You know, Bradley Bozeman will come back and and be the, um, you know, the center who did a fantastic job this year. Um, Obviously the, the two bright spots, you know, shining on that Christmas tree, will be that right guard job and the right tackle job. And I think, you know, you've got a lot of players um, for both of those positions. Um, you know, it could be a chance – I mean, a, a Dallas Wormack. Um It could be an Alex Leatherwood at right guard. Um, you know, right tackle, you know, could end up being uh, Matt Womack, uh, Elliot Baker, or even a Scott Lashley through the coaching staff is very, very high on. Uh, but but I think, you know, it's going to be kind of a different focus because, you know, especially this past year, with Jalen Hurts, a quarterback, and the amount of, you know, zone run reads that they made, um, you know, to, to run that kind of offense uh, with a quarterback like Jalen Hurts running the amount of zone reads that they made, you really don't have to have an offensive line like Alabama fans got accustomed to in 2012, um, you know, with Chance Warmack and DJ or guys that could knock a D-tackle or a D-end three yards off the ball. It goes back to the blocking principles of the wishbone um, in the 70s and 80s where you just ask somebody to get in the defender's way. Um but, you know, with Steve Sarkeesian coming in, um, I know he's going to be a lot more run-heavy than Lane Kiffin was. So they may be looking for that more physical guy at the right guard and right tackle positions. And, you know, I think that's going to be, um, you know, the focus of spring practice. You know, to me, you know, just segueing, you know, a month and a half from now into spring practice, you know, the the three biggest position battles in my mind are quarterback, right guard, and right tackle. And they really don't have a lot of guys. You know, it's going to be pretty obvious at quarterback. It's going to be Jalen Hurts, you know, Tua Tagliavoe and Mac Jones. But at right guard, right tackle, there's going to be a lot of moving parts there with the guys that compete for those two spots. And as an offensive line coach, If that's really all you have to concern yourself with,
1: you're way ahead
0: of the curve over a lot of other college
1: football programs. Well, good stuff, Redfish. I've got one more question, and it's not actually about Alabama. It's about little brother in West Georgia, as you well know. And if if fans haven't heard, Auburn Offensive Coordinator Rhett Lashley just took a – let's call it a side grade, even though it was a pay cut, to leave – Auburn University to become the offensive coordinator at UConn under Randy Edsel. Fish, is there a problem on the planes because this timing is just really, really weird from where I'm standing. You know, what what are you hearing about that whole situation from kind of the outside looking in?
0: Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think you have to look at it realistically.
1: Um, You
0: know, you know, uh, uh Red Lashley did not voluntarily leave his comfy cushion job as the Auburn offensive coordinator, you know, making six hundred thousand dollars a year to take a three hundred thousand dollar pay cut to go be, you know, the same guy for Yukon. He was pushed out, plain and simple. And if anybody wants to say anything different, they just don't understand economics. Um You know, what I do think about, uh, you know, who Gus Malzahn chooses to bring in, I think that's where the story is. Um, You know, Rhett Leslie's gone. Um, You know, took a lateral position for a lot less money. Um, But, you know, the the names that have, you know, been floated out there, um, you know, Art Briles, Kendall Briles, you know, Chip Lindsay, um, you know, all the names that they floated out there. The, the, the thing that you really have to pay attention to is if I'm Gus Malzahn, you know, do I really approach somebody like Art Briles or Chip Kelly or Craig Helfrich? Because here's what happens in that situation. If they lose three or four ball games, and I think specific ball games next year to LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, you know the guy that I bring in is the so-called savior for next year um, with Jared Stidham at quarterback. If, if Gus Malzahn doesn't get the job done, whoever he brings in, if it is a highfalutin offensive guy like a Chip Kelly or you know, an Art Briles or a Craig Selfridge, you know, you might be inviting your replacement into the Lions, bin.
1: I'll be honest, I hadn't thought about that, but ha- now having heard it, you are absolutely 100% correct. And uh, quite frankly, you mentioned it's a good place for Alabama fans to be in terms of where the program is. I'm really glad I'm not Auburn having to solve this, this pickle that, that this Gordian knot of awful that suddenly has happened, but Redfish, it's been about an hour and I really appreciate the time you've given us tonight. And I know you're still going to be with us every week, you know, the third amigo in the clan, but I also wanted to thank you for all the stuff, all the insights you've provided throughout the football season. I'm sure we'll be bombing you with recruiting questions, but that's it for tonight. And I really appreciate your time. Have a great rest of your evening. You too, Thomas. That was William Redfish Barger joining us on the Sunbelt Tents Hotline. Big thank you to Fish. He's been an integral part of our Alabama coverage. So if you're listening live, here's what we're going to do. The phone lines at this point are now officially open. If you want to talk about the Clemson game, if you want to talk about the 2017 season, if you want to talk about another sport, I will take your call and frantically Google that other sport and read what I can as you're asking your question. Give us a call at 714-510-3707. Lines are open. While you're calling in, here's what I'm going to do. Earlier today, Drudy Armand had a conversation with Aaron Suttles. Aaron Suttles gave his thoughts from the – 2017 National Championship game that Alabama just unfortunately lost. He also talked a little bit about a part of next year's schedule that I hadn't realized until he spoke about it in terms of how it sets up for this Alabama football team to potentially be right back in the mix as a playoff contender so I'm going to play that but if you have a point you want to make give us a call at 714-510-3707 and I will get you on the air after this little bit of audio from Aaron Suttles here we go
4: and Aaron uh, welcome back to the show how are you this morning I know uh as you tweeted out uh, it was one of the best high or excuse me college football games that, that you've ever seen
3: yeah it's a great game and a great rematch and um Served college football well. Um, you, you combine these, the last two national championship games, and uh, I think it's good for the sport and for people who love college football. You combine those scores, and it was so close; it was one point separate the teams, seventy six, seventy five, in two different meetings in those games. So, um, Alabama didn't come out on top, but those guys lost everything they had off the
4: championship. Of and then, just your thoughts overall uh, on that, the game for Alabama. Uh, It was a game they controlled for three quarters. Uh, But uh, in the end, I think uh, third down efficiency on offense, and they gave up some key third downs defensively. But really offensively, not being able to sustain drives, especially in the second half, uh, really came back to haunt the tide.
3: Yeah, a couple of things I thought that determined the game. One, um, number of plays. Clemson ran 99. All of them ran 66. They couldn't stay on the field offensively. Um, and, and that just wore that defense out. I thought for the most part, you know, before they got worn out, the defense didn't play perfect, but they played well enough to win. And uh, you just got the sense when, when Alabama scored with two minutes left that the defense just had nothing left, that it was going to take a turnover to win that game because um, they, they just weren't getting to the Deshaun. They didn't have anything left in their tanks. But the key thing to me, and I think, uh, I think if Bo Scarborough would not have gotten hurt, Alabama won that football game because – I think he would have helped them pick up two or three more first downs. And with two or three more first downs, Clemson doesn't run 99 plays. With two or three more first downs, uh, defense isn't as long down. And Allen uses more clock and maybe even scores a little more,
4: too. Yeah, that, that's a great point because Bo Scarborough, uh, he had been Alabama's best weapon for the last month and was off to an MVP-type start in the first half with two touchdown runs and went out of the game with 93 yards rushing. Uh, and really would have been the thump Alabama needed. Though, uh, we know that uh, Joshua Jacobs and Damian Harris are very capable. Uh, and I, you can argue, and we talked about it in the first segment of the show, Aaron, that uh, also it was very crucial for Alabama. The, uh, the screen pass, there was confusion where O.J. Howard caught it instead of uh, Harris. It looked like it was perfectly set up. And, of course, Alabama with... Uh, four to five crucial drops, which when when your quarterback is struggling a little bit, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson is a a transcendent, one of the best players we've seen in college football history, but his receivers really helped him out uh, on Monday.
3: Yeah, uh, definitely the Alabama receiving core did not play their best. Um, I think Garrett Dieter had a key third down drop, but I don't want to see anybody out there didn't play well overall.
4: There's a group, yeah.
3: You got to help your true freshman quarterback out when he does make a pass. You need to help him out a little bit. But that being said, you know they scored 31 points, and normally I'd say 95 percent of the time, that's good enough for Alabama to win. It wasn't just one time because you're playing you're playing one of the best quarterbacks of the last 10 years in college football, and he he's good. <laughs> I mean, he, he, sometimes you just got to take your hat off and tip it to the other team and say. Congratulations! You were better and better than us this night, and Clemson was just better on that one
4: night at Alabama. And and then uh, to to give Clemson credit, uh, just the, I thought defensively they kind they hung in there. Uh, I know uh, it's tough uh, facing uh, the uh, Alabama offense; they've got a lot of weapons. But and I know Jalen Hurts has taken a lot of criticism in the in the playoff because of the lack of passing success. But the bottom line is uh, when it was twenty-eight twenty-four. Many thought the game was already over, and uh, he led the team down the field. Of course, the trick play with Darius Stewart is a great throw to O.J. Howard, probably the best throw of the night. But Hurts, once again, makes a magical play with his feet and still put his team in position to win.
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, the criticizing Jay on this fair game about his passing because it didn't develop throughout the second half of the season like some, like many people thought. And we'll see how he does in the offseason, I think it all I think it actually is beneficial to Jalen that two is coming in. That mm-hmm. now he has somebody to push him because once Blake Barnett left the program, there was no one in practice to push Jalen to get better every day. I think Jalen's a pretty motivated guy as it is. He, he may not need anybody to push him, um, but we'll see how how he develops this off season. But that being said, with millions of people watching and in, in a stadium full of seventy thousand people, and most of them clumsy in, in his ear, he led a touchdown drive. To and that's all he could have done. When when the, when it mattered the most, he delivered, and he gave his team uh, a lead with two minutes left in that football game. But by then, that defense was had nothing left in it, and Clemson was able to match.
4: And then uh, now, as far as the future of the program, uh, uh, Aaron, uh, I still think Alabama is in the midst of this dynasty. I don't think it's over by any stretch of the imagination uh Steve Sarkisian is going to be the narrative now because he is going to be on the clock as OC and his first job is to help Jalen Hurts develop uh into a a, a great not a, maybe not a great passer but a a a serviceable passer uh for this Alabama offense and if and if so uh he will be one of the best players in college football because we he cuz I, I still don't think because Alabama didn't win the national championship you get, I'm not sure that uh, they're, they're dwelling on a loss more than how remarkable it was when you think about it in context, that going into this season, I honestly thought Alabama probably they, they would have a chance to make the college football playoff, but with a true freshman quarterback, it's, your chances aren't great. Of course, they had a transcendent defense, but still a remarkable performance for a, a young man uh, like Jalen Hurts being a, a straight out of high school.
3: Think about this. And, and, I, and I said this on my radio show yesterday. Think about all the flaws that Alabama had on this team right this year. Um, true freshman quarterback. The running back broke his leg in the third quarter. People don't know, Drew. People don't know how hurt Reuben Foster played. Reuben Foster, that knee is hurting him. He gave everything he had. Alabama was out without its All-American safety in Eddie Jackson. Um, they had a lot of things going against them. They were playing with the quarterbacks, the two-time Heisman finalist, and um, a transcendent, once-in-a-generation college football player. And all that going against Alabama, and they had the lead with two minutes left in the game. All that going against it, and they had the lead with two minutes left in the game. It took the best player in college football, in my opinion, and Sean Watson to be the team that had that going against it. And sometimes, you know, just step back from things and look at it. You know, stop being, you know, so hypercritical. Just take a, step, a couple steps, look back at it. what that team did. With all, all that, with Reuben really hurt, with the, your best running back breaking his leg, and with a quarterback that couldn't throw the ball, you were two minutes away from a national championship. Pretty remarkable. But, yeah, going forward, they, I think they need a number one running back. Um, I think when Bo is healthy, he's it. But I think, again, this was talk about going into the season. His injury concern continues to pop up. It's not his fault. It just keeps happening. Um, I don't believe that Damian Harris is the number one running back. Uh, I think Josh Jacobs could develop into one maybe, but Najee Harris can definitely be one. Um, and, and not that you need a number one, but you need two solid guys you can depend on. Um, and I thought that the running game was, was unlike what we've seen from Alabama in the past. I know Damian Harris rushed for 1,000 yards, but he just wasn't dominant. Um, and there wasn't a, a feeling that, if you had a third and one, you knew you were going to get it. To get everything. You, you never got that feeling. Um, they need they need one or two of those type of guys, and I think they have some guys coming in that can help them there. They need more push from their offensive line. They've got to get that cleaned up this year. I know they're losing Cam. they probably switch Jonah to left tackle, but they have got to get more power out of that offensive line.
4: Yeah, and uh, I, uh, in hindsight, you got to say that uh, the the uh, the revolving door – uh, at right guard kind of caught up to him in the playoffs.
3: Yeah, that, and, um, you know, Clemson's defensive line played really well. Oh, yeah, they're talented, uh, no uh, doubt. But, you, you know, Bradley Bozeman played well. I know he won the Outland Trophy, but you can't have a three-year starter commit a false start every game. Um, he played well, though. You know, when they ran off the left side of the offense, they ran well. Ross Pierce Baker is what he is. He's a very solid player. Um, but he's not able to move 300 pound guys off the line. They need more power, whether that's getting, you know, putting some, one of these Juco guys coming in, whether that's figuring out what they're going to do with Lester Cotton. Um, you, you just have to get more movement from your offensive line because they didn't have it this year. They had to run more wide than we've ever seen them in the past. Alabama offense, when it's third and short, you knew where they're going and you couldn't stop it. This year, you can stop it.
4: And now. Uh the next question is going to be uh the coaching staff uh there's been a lot of smoke around Mario Cristobal. Uh, are you hearing anything about that? Uh, last I heard this morning he was out recruiting for Alabama.
3: He is and um despite what there's some rumors going around about him in Oregon, mm-hmm. and I do think there's some smoke there, but he definitely has not made a decision If anyone is reporting right now that Mario Cristobal has made a decision, that's false. He is not but you know, the guys to look out is Billy Napier. If he, you know, he's he's considered a very good coach. Got has been an offensive coordinator in his past. Um, I know some interest around the country in Tosh LaFoy. Uh, I know Nick Saban is going to do everything he can to keep Mario and Tosh. But uh, if those guys have a chance to be coordinators, it's hard to argue and it's hard to make your case when you're you're just leaving them as position coaches. Um, I, you know. We'll see. The trajectory of Jeremy Pruitt's career could be going up after his performance this year, how long Alvin was able to hold on to him as defensive coordinator before maybe he gets a shot as a head coach somewhere. Uh, if that's a real short-term deal, then I think Nick Saban might even look at Tosh Laporte as defensive coordinator. But um, that may be a couple years off, and whether they can hold on to Tosh during that time remains remains to be seen.
4: Yeah, that's going to be very interesting because – Uh, Tosh had a big uh, hand in keeping Najee Harris in and Tua Tonga-Vailoa also. And and now I'm going to be really interested to see what Steve Sarkisian, because he couldn't reinvent the wheel in nine days. Now he'll be able to install his offense and run his style. And with these running backs returning, uh, at least the top four, we'll have to see what happens with BJ Imons, who is still injured. Uh, But with Damian Harris, Joshua Jacobs, Najee Harris, and Bo, I would be interested to see how they try to get these guys on the field, Aaron.
3: Yeah, the crowded backfield, but uh, you got to try to find a way to keep every guy in it mentally because you can't, you don't want to lose any of those guys because mm-hmm. we've seen in the past how, how quickly your running back depth can be depleted. One off season, you look like you're absolutely loaded at running back, and then you go in the next off season and guys have transferred, guys have gotten hurt, and you're left with no depth. So, they got to try to find a way to keep all of them into it.
4: Yeah, they really do, and they've. And of course, Derek Gore has already moved on. The walk-on, he was a valuable member member of the Tide special teams. Had the block punt against the Florida Gators. Will move on uh, for his last two years of eligibility, but he was a valuable role player. Uh, also, Levi Wallace is graduating. Uh, but just real quickly, Aaron, and this is Aaron Suttles of Tide Sports to wrap up with you your thoughts just quickly uh, on this uh, upcoming season and what we might see out of Alabama.
3: Well, the first thing I look at is the schedule. Um, starting against Florida State, this will be the best neutral site opponent Alabama has played uh, to start the season. And how they approach that game, if they lose that game, then you're talking about a team that's lost the last two games, um, and then the story kind of switches on you. But if they win that game, the schedule sets up really nice for them. You, know, you, you get Old Miss at home, Arkansas at home, Tennessee at home, LSU at home. Um, and then, obviously, you have to go to Auburn, who's probably going to be pretty good this year with Jarrett Spittman as quarterback. So the schedule sets up really well, much better than it did this past season. And then it just comes down to figuring out your offense, because Jalen's been able to develop. And then what are you getting from Deron Payne and Deshaun Hand um, and Isaiah Buggs and some of those guys on the defensive line that are, that are filling in some big, big shoes? And then you got to replace both your outside linebackers. Um, and, and pretty soon he's got some solid playing time on Monday night. He'll, he'll slide right in there. Um, you know, then it becomes, can Rashawn Evans step up? You know, there's a lot of questions, but most of them, I think, are going to be on the defensive side of the ball.
4: Very interesting. Should be a fascinating spring. wear, well, and we always appreciate your time. Let everybody know where they can read your stuff. And of course, your daily
1: radio. That was Aaron Suttles of Tidesports.com. You know, he had a conversation with Drew and that was their conversation from earlier today, actually. But I do have a caller, one of our friends joining us via the Sunbelt Tents hotline, red friend Bama Bubba. Bubba, how you doing this evening?
2: Doing good, my friend. How are
1: you doing? You know, I'm still sort of smarting over that loss on Monday. I'll probably smart yeah. for another week. But at the same time, I don't know if you had a chance to catch our conversation with Redfish earlier. There's a lot to like about this Alabama football team. It's not going to go away.
2: Yeah, like Fish always said, as long as that little angry man is patrolling the sidelines, we're always going to have a good team. But but, I missed some of it. Well, we took our oldest daughter out tonight. She's 18, took her out to eat. So I'm going to catch the podcast. But um, one of the things I want to call and ask you about, and Redfish, might I've talked about it, you might have – you know, I was thinking about the offense and everything, and and it's looking like it's going to be real good. And I guess instead of quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers, I was wanting to talk about, The offensive line, you know, like I remember back in, I think it was 2012 when we played Georgia in the SEC championship game, and that offensive line just manhandled people. Obviously, since we've been running a spread or a tempo offense, I guess it's been more, I hate to use the word finesse, but it's not as much power as you would with a run game. Now that, I guess, Steve Sarkeesian is coming back to be our offensive coordinator, he is going to be, and we've heard that he is a little bit more running oriented, Do you think the offensive line will move back, shift back towards that power or, you know, I don't don't know what I'm trying to say, but will they shift that more to that power block in or is it still going to be
1: finesse, I guess,
2: with a little power mixed in?
1: Well, uh, I think that's going to be one of the very interesting open questions that everybody will be chomping at the bit to get a hold of once spring practice starts. I think the left side of the offensive line is pretty well crystallized. Jonah Williams will go from right tackle to left tackle, and Russ Pierce-Baker will stay at left guard, and Bradley Bozeman will stay at center. The The fight is going to be over right guard, right tackle, and there are a bunch of guys there that are physical specimens that will compete for that job. In terms of talent, you hate losing Cam Robinson, but it is – a it's not unfair to say that Cam Robinson's false starts against Clemson at the most inopportune times,
3: mm-hmm. put
1: the offense behind the eight ball when they could have kill shot at the Tigers. You know, that, that's not unfair criticism. So, nope. and I'm not, and you know, I don't think the offense is magically going to get better without a guy that that, that is that good. But if you clean up some of the penalties and you keep the offense on track or on schedule a little bit better you know you have a completely different set of things you have to worry about if you're the Alabama Crimson Tide now to blocking schemes that's going to be an interesting question you know one of the things we have been bombarded with both folks that have studied Sarkeesian and folks that have just talked to like former former folks that worked with him over in the in the Pac-12 Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian are a lot alike does that mean they're going to do more zone blocking or is it going to be man blocking? And if it is, does Alabama have the guys to really do some kind of man blocking where the left guard has to take a guy and shove him basically into the bus? I don't know about that. That's going to be something to keep an eye on with the similarities in terms of how Sarkeesian and Kiffin look at offense and how they construct offense. I think the offense will look very similar but you might multiply your run looks. And one of the things that's going to be really interesting to see, like Aaron Suttle said, is how the running back group ends up shaking itself out. I mean, there's a real, real problem with Bo Scarborough right now. When Bo Scarborough is healthy, he is Leonard Fournette-esque fantastic. And we saw that on display when – he was able to play at full power against Washington, and then for three quarters against Clemson. But the other side of the equation with Bo is he has had a litany of injuries. Now, with that, you know, do you, ha, how do you, how do you use him? And continuing to play that conversation forward, what kind of running back is Najee Harris? You know, Alabama fans have gone absolutely gaga over that young man for a year and a half, is he, if he, is he a one-cut back? I haven't scouted him very much. Is he a guy that can do the Derrick Henry push-the-pile thing? I don't know. So I like to think, Bubba, that Sarkeesian will be able to get the most out of his talent in terms of developing and building an offense. I don't think he's as good as Lane Kiffin in terms of finding the two or three things that work and featuring the ever-living heck out of them. But I do think the offense will run more. And if Alabama can get that inside power game going, that absolutely makes the jet sweeps and the outside off-tackle runs even more of a headache to defend. But it remains to be seen. I think a lot of how that will be deployed is going to come down to who ends up sliding in on the right side of the offensive line. Once we know that, we'll have a better grasp of where Alabama will go offensively in my mind.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we've got a lot of – it just seems like over the past few years – when we talk about recruiting classes, I kept hearing Alabama's got the number one offensive line class, and then it seemed like it happened again, and then maybe even a third time last year, and I kept thinking, wow, we've got so many offensive linemen stacked up. This is going to be unbelievable. And then I just, I guess I kept waiting for for it to kind of kick in, and it seems like the offensive line, of course, there were some injuries there and some things happened, and I guess it just didn't kick in. I just, I guess I set the standard against that, that 2011 2012 class, but also you know I, I don't keep up with it as much with the coaches and stuff. But some people said Joe Pindry was a true offensive line coach. Mario Cristobal is too, but he's just not as I guess gifted as you know Cristobal or Pindry is. So that's why they brought in uh, the other guy to kind of help him out. Um, but then, of course, you throw in it could be finesse blocking, and so that takes away from the power blocking. So, but I guess there's so much going on there. I was, you know, hoping I could have talked the fish, but like I said, I was out of pocket. And I tell you, I was going to answer those questions.
1: Well, I, I think that the general agreement is there does need to be more power blocking for the Bama offensive line. About Joe Pendry, he's not a stranger. I mean, I would be willing to bet he's not in the office every day, but. He's not a stranger in the Alabama, you know, around the Alabama program. Let's put it to you like that. And more than anything, a lot of what you're talking about is guys not really developing or needing more time to develop. I I mean, I I can't describe how good Lester Cotton has the potential to be. But what we saw this season is the light hasn't completely come on for the young man. And that is not the first person, not the first uber-talented Alabama player that you're just like, man, the light needs to come on. Man, the light needs to come on. And when it does, look out. You know, you want to talk about power. If Lester Cotton gets a hold of you, you're done. Just end of story. <laughs> Don't even try. Yeah. And, yeah. It, 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 you know, it'll get there. And, and at the same time, you know, you've got a guy in Bradley Bozeman who's who replaced a first-round draft pick at center, which is a very rare thing. And Bradley Bozeman's going to be a future NFL guy, and Jonah Williams is going yeah. to be a top five pick if he doesn't get hurt. So, uh, yeah. you know, you're talking about talent on the offensive line. It's there. It's just yep. it hasn't come together like the 2012 group yet. And the 2012 group was ridiculously special anyway. So, that is kind of a <laughs> well, crazy that, you know- standard, I'll admit.
2: And also, I, I, it seems like on that right side, they did a lot of experimenting this year. There was people being shuffled around. And there were people talking about that, you know, message boards and on the radio and stuff during the year. Why don't they just find five, stick with it, and move on? But I was just like, well, I guess they just want to make sure they've got the right combination. So I imagine that it was a combination of things that seemed like and the Office of land I thought did good. It just wouldn't, you know, I don't know, I guess I keep hearing about all this, you know, first-rounder, number-one talent, number-one class is talent. I keep thinking, we are fixing to put a, you know, an offensive line here yeah, it's just going to maul people for years to come. And, and when you talk about Najee Harris, I'm not an expert on recruits and stuff, but when you watch him play, like in – high course, he's high school. You have to take that into consideration. But he kind of did everything. Like, there was some videos of him – very herky jerky and cutting left and right, almost like he was a five seven scat back. But then on the next play, he went bruising up the middle and he was just dragging guys down the field with power, just tearing away from them and sprinting in the end zone. And if the kid does a little bit of everything, and I'm guessing that's another reason I'm kind of open. You know, obviously I'm sure Nick's got something in mind he wants to do. Um, I don't know if he wants to stick with a little bit of. You know, spread sprinkled in with the power game, but that's what I always seemed like worked great for us. You can, you know, you start off running and you mix in the pass and you throw it around a little bit, but at the end of games you just close it out, just wearing people down. Um, and that's, of course, what I always like. But you know, I'm not the coach, so but wow. it, it'll be it'll be fun to watch
1: whatever they do. One of the things that is is a key component to this entire discussion that we haven't talked about is Jalen Hurts and his continued growth and development. And that's not to say that he's a bad runner. I mean, heck, the stat that was being bounced around is he had over a thousand yards if you take out the sack yardage that he accrued throughout the year, a thousand yards rushing. But, you know, how does he keep developing as a cog in the offense and you know, getting Alabama into the right play? The thing that you will I will you will never hear me say negatively about AJ McCarron, AJ McCarron was fantastic, particularly his last two years with being able to read a defense and adjust the play at the line of scrimmage to get Alabama in the perfect play call. If Jalen Hurts can start doing that, and that's not something under Lane Kiffin that Alabama was ever able to do because the quarterbacks never got comfortable enough in the system to do it with much regularity in terms of total play shifts. They could shift protections, but they couldn't audible plays very often. There was a lot of check with me. If Jalen Hurts can get mm-hmm. out of the check with me mindset and start doing some of those things and understanding concepts more and improving in that area, that could also solve a lot of the power, you know, the inside running that I think a lot of Alabama fans really want to see. So there's a lot that goes into it. I guess if, if you want it, if you want me to put a bow on this conversation, you know, you should, um, I would say there's a lot that goes into this. All the parts are there it's going to be interesting to see how the th- the entire apparatus is constructed in a month and a half when spring ball starts. Exactly,
2: and then of course that's what you know as fans. That's what we're all looking for. I mean, we'll get the we'll get the class signed, and then before you know it, you'll blink, and practice will be here, and we'll all be scooping up the internet and newspaper or whatever to get every little bit of information we can, but um, and see which way they're gonna go. But I'm sure, like you know, Nick did with, you know, why didn't he do the same with Steve? Sarkeesian, you know, he's gonna let him look. You this is kinda of what I'm looking for, and you put your own stamp on it and he will. And I really feel good about Jalen and, and honest, it was something Fish said on last week's show I hadn't seen the video, but he talked about the YouTube video of Steve Sarkeesian mic'd up to where he's basically in Mark Sanchez's hip pocket back when he's at USC, and he's teaching and he's coaching and he's telling what to look for and how to do all that stuff. That kind of got me excited because I thought, man, as a, as a true freshman, that's what he needs. I mean, he's got the athletic raw ability to do everything, but if Sark can teach him that, and if he can spend the offseason with these wide receivers, and now he knows who's going to be there and who's not with the Darius leaving and it's like Robert Foster may jump ship. At least he knows the guys he can work with every day during the summer, just him and him, them, by themselves at the DBs, and work on timing and, you know, deep routes and putting some touch on the football. Hopefully you bring that all together, especially at the end of the summer when fall ball starts. And, I, and I'm, I mean, I don't want to, you know, you know, ask for too much, but I'm really hoping that. That's going to work out and he's going to look really, really good as a quarterback next year.
1: Well, uh, let me just say about that. I don't think it's unfair. And we've also seen going off that mic'd up Mark Sanchez coaching thing that Redfish brought up. Players leading up to the national championship game said, We like this, the energy that Sarkeesian is bringing to the team. You know, it makes, you know, it feels good. I, you know, whatever superlatives the players threw it's obvious that Steve Sarkeesian has, the players have taken to it and Steve Sarkeesian, this is not his first developing a quarterback into an excellent college starter rodeo. You know, maybe Jake Locker failed in the NFL, but Steve Sarkeesian, obviously my dog agrees with Jake Locker. I apologize, Baba, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, he got to the NFL and, that a big part of that was Sarkeesian. You know, he's worked with Sanchez. He's worked with Leonard. He's worked with Carson Palmer on some level. You know, I'm not saying that he was the be all and end all, but Sarkeesian has worked with some fantastic quarterbacks and gotten a lot of production out of them during his tenure as a coach. So the pedigrees there. You're seeing the initial reaction from players. And I don't think it's unfair or unrealistic to expect Jalen Hurts to take a big step forward. You know, I think I've said it on BAMS. I've said it to you privately on Twitter through DMs. You know, every rep that Jalen takes has a larger effect because he is a true freshman. Well, he's going to get a full spring of number one reps. He's going to get a full summer of let's do seven on sevens. He's going to get a full fall, assuming that Tua Tagovailoa is not the second coming of Joe Montana, as the number one (laughs) in fall. You know, so there's a lot to look forward to you know again all the pieces are there and I think there the, the pieces are there and the group to put together the puzzle is absolutely there too so no I think it's absolutely fair to think that Jalen Hurts can take a big step forward and to expect some pretty big things from this offense moving into
2: 2017. Wow that's awesome I, I can't wait so um, well all right Thomas that's pretty much it for me but uh, I'm gonna let you go and Get back Absolutely. to the show and close it out, but I appreciate you taking my call, and I will talk to you soon, friend.
1: Absolutely, thanks for calling, and have a great evening. You too, buddy. Thank you. That was our good friend Bama Baba on the Sunbelt Belt Tense Hotline. I have no other callers, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself a little 25 minute breather. But uh, thank you so much for listening to BAM's Radio. If you're listening live, thank you for getting through it with me, and if you're listening on podcasts, thanks for taking the time out of your work day. If you're listening on a Friday, you're kind of just spinning down for the weekend anyway. So hope you enjoyed the show, but that's it for this week's episode of BAMS Radio. Thanks to Bubba, our caller, and our long conversation with William Redfish Barger. The 35-31 loss to Clemson still stings. There is a whole lot to look forward to if you're an Alabama fan. That's it for us. Have a great rest of your week, And Roll Tide.